0: Well, let me pray for us as we begin, and ask the Lord to bless our journey. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your kindness. God, thank you for bringing us here from the places where we are. We ask in the next few moments that you would journey with us. Father, that through the next few moments that you might reveal yourself to us in a new and in a fresh way. Uh, Father, I pray this evening that in all things we do that you would be glorified that through the singing of your word and preaching of your word, that your people would be edified, and would the foundations of the earth and even our souls shake as the enemy this evening would be horrified. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said Amen. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you all again. This evening, if you have your copy of God's word, would you meet me in Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10. As you turn there, I want to ask you one simple question that will guide our time this evening. It's a question that I've pondered, one that I've mused upon from some time that will inform our time in Luke 10. That question is this. What if we talk to God too much It's a serious question, though it may sound silly, but what if we talk to God too much? Have that playing in the back of your mind as we get and read Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. When you get there, say, oh yeah? Yeah. If you need a minute, say, hold up, brother. All right, just a second. By the way, brother has no ER on the end. We don't do that around here, all right? Let me just say this, I love Pastor Chris. I'm honored for his leadership, for his wisdom in my life uh, through the years, and I continue to be grateful for the opportunity to serve those who are under his care. Uh, But y'all give my man a hard time. It seems like he only invites me in when he's not here. Like, I wanna kick it with my dude too. Like, I like the guy. I want some of that beer love in my life as well, you know? But uh, no, it's not. Are y'all for real? Yo, that just hurt my heart. (laughs) Oh, Lord Jesus, help me, Lord. Luke 10, 38, would you go there with me? Verse 38 reads, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are troubled and anxious about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better portion which will not be taken away from her. My college roommate was a guy named Andy. Andy had a dad who literally would do anything on the planet for his children. He worked double shifts in jobs. He sent them to the schools that they could afford. He put food on their table and a roof over their head and he did in his own way, he loved his children. To the point that when his son goes off to college, my roommate, we begin to have conversations about our fathers, and I would tell about how much uh, my dad loved me, and I knew that my dad loved me, not only because he did things for me, but because he told me so. And there in the room, we're sitting there talking over a game of Madden, because that's what you do in college when you're a football player. He begins to tell me that, you know what, I'm not quite sure that my father loves me. Well, yeah, he did a bunch of things for me, but he never told me. There was no affection. I wasn't sure that he loved me. My question earlier this evening was, what if we talk to God too much? And the first thing we see when we get to Luke 10, if I've got three points this evening, this is the first, we find a disciple's posture. Jesus rolls into town, here's Mary, here's Martha up in Martha's crib. And where is Mary? Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, this is revolutionary for a number of reasons. One, that a rabbi would keep such close company with a woman, so Jesus already begins to flip the world's ideas of gender and gender separation and gender roles on their head. So here's this woman sitting at the feet of Jesus, But she is assuming the posture of a disciple. When disciples would sit to listen to their rabbi, they would sit in a posture that would be subservient or below that rabbi. And what makes this even more beautiful is that instead of talking to or at Jesus, she's sitting at his feet under his teaching. When we come to the text, we often, maybe some of you, like I used to do, would come to the text and be like, ah, I need to have a quiet time today, but I'm not really sure where I'm gonna go, so. Or we come to the text and we import meaning onto a text, asking of the text, what does this mean to me, before we ask what God wants. You see, Mary's in a position where she's sitting and she's listening to the words of the Lord. Instead of talking at God, she is sitting under the teaching of Jesus. I wonder if instead of talking at God for us, we should sit under the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you've got Mary who's assuming the posture of the disciple. Meanwhile, you've got Martha who, second point, is succumbing to the disciples' war against the tyranny of the urgent. Now when we come to the text and we see Martha running around, we tend to give Martha a bad rap, right? Because after all, we kind of instinctively know that Mary's doing a good thing and Martha is dead wrong. But if we were just to keep it all the way 100 If Jesus was coming to your house, you would probably be running around to make sure everything was on point, too. You would want to make sure everybody's drinks were filled. You want to make sure that the chicken didn't taste like wood. You wanted to make sure that the Kool-Aid was on point. You wanted to make sure that everything was right. You wanted to make sure everybody was on their uh, P's and Q's because, after all, the Lord of the universe is kicking it on your couch. So if we were to be honest, it's a whole lot of Marthas in here. Because if Jesus came to my crib, please believe, I want him to have his feet kicked up and everybody to have a good time. It's a party up in this thing. And yet, the sense that we get is that there is something inherently wrong with what Martha's doing. And here's what I'd say about what Martha is doing. Her eagerness to serve supersedes her eagerness to learn. Her eagerness to serve supersedes her eagerness to learn. There are so many of us who wanna do great things for God. And there are so many of us who want platform and position and power and money because we wanna do great things for God. We want the world to know that Jesus Christ is Lord and many of us have arranged our entire lives and our vocations around that point and to that end. But are we those who are more eager to serve the Lord than to learn from him? She is so busy that she forgets that God is in her midst. And here's the point, it's up here on the screen. We must never lose sight of the fact that service for Jesus does not equate intimacy with him. The service for the Lord does not equate intimacy with him. You see, if I'm thinking about Andy and Andy's growing up and his pops is doing a whole lot of service for his son, He is working hard and he's out there putting, paying bills and uh, putting food on the table and making sure he's got money for football practice and making sure he's got lunch money. But he never spent time with his son. And his son felt like he was a stranger to his own father. Hear me now, saints, saints. There is a time for serving and there is a time for sitting. And some of y'all just need to sit y'all tail down and spend some time with Jesus. Now, I understand that when I say that, there are many of us who are recovering Pharisees in the room, many of us who are recovering legalists in the room, who hear that and all of a sudden we have a ton of guilt and we have a ton of shame that's heaped upon us, like let's, let me self-loathe and self-flagellate myself because I'm so awful and I need to be doing this thing that I'm not doing and I'm so bad. But here's what I would say to you. There's grace for you. And legalism at its core is trying to practice Christianity apart from Jesus. So intimacy spent with Christ, if it's approached with a legalistic mindset, you're gonna leave Jesus even though he's a thing you're trying to pursue. But what we need to see is that there is a creator who has made himself man knowable, revealed himself to us, that there is in all of creation not one thing that rivals the beauty of his children, that this cosmic God, and yet the one who even down to the smallest elements in the universe, has them all categorized. This God who spares no expense for your soul desires not just to do a bunch of stuff with, for you, but to spend time with you. You see, we have the, the message that God loves us. Jesus loves us. After all, that's what we grow up singing. Jesus loves me, this I know. But how many times have we stopped to think that, yeah, God loves me, but Jesus likes you too? And wants to spend time with you. Just a couple weeks ago, if you're like me, you've got a busy life and you've got a ton of stuff going on and I got children who are crazy and who desire all of my time. And just the other day, I just got home from work and I've got a deadline I'm trying to meet and I've got an article I'm trying to write and I've got a sermon I'm trying to write. I've got counseling situations I'm trying to prepare for. And my two-year-old little boy, Cager Dwayne Cook is the most precious and annoying little boy on the planet. <laughs> Tugging at my shirt, dad, 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 dad but I'm too busy. I got stuff to do. Like look, you're going to have to wait, young buck, cuz Papa's got to get this. Papa's got to get this work done, right? So then he goes in his room and he pulls out a badminton racket. While my son has a badminton racket, I have no idea. <laughs> but he comes back into the living room with this badminton racket. Dad, 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 dad. <laughs> I'm like, chill out, bruh. Like I got stuff to do. So he goes away and then my daughter comes in and she's got a ball and she's like, hey dad, hey dad, hey dad. And she hits me in my face and that's when it all blew off. <laughs> and she saw the look in my face and she knew instantly she was in trouble and the words out of her mouth were, dad, you never have time to play for us. shut my phone down, I closed my computer. And it was the first time in my life that I realized that my children like being with me. And as a father, I had not made myself accessible or available for them to access me. And I didn't give them the best part of me. I only gave them what was left. You see, though, I'm a poor model of what it means to be a father. Our father in heaven wants to give you his very best. And he offers it to you freely, lavishly, uh, above and beyond measure. Why? Because he loves you and he likes you too. You see, Mary has an idea that this is the case, but the tyranny of the urgent, the next emergency, the next task, the next thing to do always commands our attention to the point that we lose in the midst of doing a whole bunch of good things, we miss the best thing. Service for Jesus does not equate intimacy with him. Question, are you marked by your time spent with Jesus or are you marked only by your service to him? When I see Martha, I see myself. But when I see Martha, I I also see hope. Let me illustrate. My wife loves to take baths. I don't like baths. I don't take baths. Like, I mean, I like take showers, like I'm clean, you know what I'm saying? But there's something about a bath that seems counterintuitive to me, right? So, like, you run a bunch of water, you sit in that water, you scrub all the dirt off your body, and then you sit in that dirt until it's time to get out. Man, just take a shower, bro. But my wife loves to take baths and it's in that bath and when she could have the most horrendous day, she'll put her little essential oils in there, she'll light a candle, she'll put on like some, you know what I'm saying, like some worship music and whatnot and like that is her time, that is her space, she is dead alone to the rest of the world, it's just her and Jesus in that time and she sits and soak in that tub and it's as if the hot water of that tub soothes away all of her cares, When I think about what it means to be in intimacy with Jesus, it's like sitting in that tub, sitting in soak before the Lord, allowing him and his word to soothe and ease our pain. You see, there's something about being stressed out, forgotten, lonely, annoyed, angry, frustrated, and forgotten. And there's something about feeling some type of way and then opening up the word of God to 2 Corinthians and reading My grace is sufficient for you and my power is perfected in weakness. You see, I fully believe that Martha tried to control everything. I think Martha has an idol of control, that she wants her hands on everything. She wants to make sure everything's right because in Martha's mind, she fundamentally believes that what she does will bring more love to her. It's why she looks at Jesus and says, do you not see my sister not helping me? Tell her to get off her rear end to help me out. She fundamentally believes that Mary's not doing anything. I think she's got a control idol and I think she's clamoring for the attention of Jesus by what she does, but she's missing the point. In the midst of a bunch of good things, she has not chosen the best thing. Meanwhile, here's Mary in action. Now, this is where it gets good. Third and final point: In Mary, we find active intimacy with Jesus. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Her sister Martha's like, "Look, this chick ain't doing nothing." I'm about to pop off, right? Jesus, you need to tell her to get up out of her seat and tell her to get up and help me. She's not doing anything. That's what Martha's statement connotes. She's not doing anything. And yet, Mary is the one with work boots on, hard hat on, hard at work. Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha. This double employing of her first name is what the Greek theologians call a double vocative. It invokes and shows very strong emotion. It's as if Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, you are troubled and anxious about many things that right now in front of me in my presence don't matter. But Mary has chosen the good portion. You see, I think Jesus, I think, let me say this. We sometimes think that, let me say this. (laughs) Life is kind of like riding in a boat in a storm. And the trick of riding in a storm is to keep the sea out of the boat. If you keep the sea out of the boat, then you'll float and you'll stay alive. But when the sea gets in the boat, then you'll feel like you're sinking and drowning. Many of us in life feel like we're sinking and drowning, like the seas and the oceans of life are spilling into our boat, and some of us are drowning to the point we feel like we're at the very bottom. But the thing about it is, is is if, if you don't really know who Jesus is, then you miss the point that Jesus commands the winds and the waves, that when he says, get up and move, they move. There's a passage of scripture in John chapter six, when Jesus walks on water in the middle of the night, because he's just fed 5,000 with a bunch of, with a bunch of uh, folks with a couple of stale loaves of bread and some funky fish. All of a sudden, his disciples get out of the boat in the middle of the sea of Tiberias. Here comes Jesus walking on water and they're surprised and astonished, but what they can't see is what the water is doing. You see, water's held together by hydrogen and oxygen. Those molecules held together by polar covalent bonds. Those polar covalent bonds are strong. And the second that Jesus dips his toe onto the water, those polar covalent bonds raise their hands as if to say, our maker is on the earth. We dare not let his feet get wet. That's what he does to winds and waves. That's what he does to storms of life. Here's my question. Have you sat and soaked with him? him for him to get the ocean out of your boat. In short, my friends, don't tell God how big your storm is, baby tell your storm how big your God is. It's a little black churchism for you. Here's the point. Here's the point. In the midst of the craziness of life, God's word and intimacy with Christ soaks away our problems. My final question to you this evening is this. Do you consult the book? Not because somehow being on a streak of consecutive quiet times will render God or make him love you more, Uh uh-uh. We need to get the legalism and the Phariseeism out of us. But are you sitting in soap because there is a king who desires your presence and his nearness is your greatest good? Have you consulted the book? Finally, and then I'm done. I like in verse 42 that Jesus says that Mary has chosen the better portion. Jesus refers to himself as a meal. He is, after all, the bread of life and the bread of heaven. And here, Mary is sitting not only in soak, not only getting to know him, not only listening to his teaching, but Mary is feasting. My friends, I would encourage you and admonish you to feast upon Christ, who is our daily bread. Last and final observation. Last question. In this entire pericope, we've just read what has Mary said? Not a word. Let's pray.